So we'll start you out by opening your Bible to Genesis chapter 30. And we're going to begin there, and then we're going to start turning the pages. I'll announce them for you, and I'll ask you certain questions. And this morning, I'm going to ask you questions before you get to the Scripture. And I want you to, if you, if you know the answer to it, I want you to call it out. So we're going to do a little bit something different. So this morning, the account of Joseph, I've titled, The Man Whose Dreams Came True. How many of you have ever wished that he would have a dream and that that dream would come true? How many of you have ever had dreams that came true? How many of you have had nightmares that came true? Those are the ones you don't want. Yeah, it gets pretty risky when we're talking about, uh, about dreams. But you know, in the Middle East, uh, dreams and God appearing to people in dreams is very common even today. As a matter of fact, if you were to do some research, you would find out that many Muslims in the Middle East who are afraid for their lives to go to a Christian church are coming to Jesus because Jesus came to them in the form of a dream, a vision. And God is still working with dreams and visions in the life of certain people who need that for salvation. So keep that in mind. This is not something that happened 6,000 years ago and has never happened since. These things are still happening. The key verse in Joseph's account is Genesis 41, 38, which I'm going to read to you. Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? What are people going to say about you? What's your epitaph? What's your legacy? When people look back on their relationship with you, will there be anything about Jesus? Will there any, be anything about your faith, about your testimony, about some kind thing that you did for somebody in the name of Jesus? Will that be what's imprinted on their mind? So that when they think about you, they think about Christ. And when they think about Christ, maybe they think about you. Because they've seen him at work in your life. And that's what Joseph's life is about, seeing God at work in his life. So by way of a, of a biography, he is the son of a woman named Rachel. Why, why should we bring that out? Because Rachel was a woman who couldn't have children. Turns out that Joseph will be one of 12. He is the 11th. He's got a younger son. But let's look at the scripture where that promise is made. That's Genesis 30, verses 22 to 25. God remembered Rachel. She had been praying. She had been asking God to do something in her life. God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. The Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass, and that other son would be Benjamin, the youngest, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, send me away that I may go unto mine own place and go into my country. In other words, there was already some jealousy on the part of the family. Every family has their issues. Amen? Amen? Your family has issues. My family has issues. We all have it. This family had an issue because dad made a mistake. What 
was Jacob's mistake. Anybody know? Huh? The answer comes from, from uh, Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3. Chapter 37 and verse 3. Are you there? Okay. Verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. He played favorites. Is that a thing to do in your family? Never play favorites with anybody, whether it's in the church, whether it's your physical family, or whether it's your relationships. You don't play favorites because think of how everybody else feels. How did these brothers feel? Now, Jacob was so enamored of his son and thought so highly of what happened when his son was born that he gave him a coat of many colors, which we've heard so many times. But that coat was an added insult to the brothers, not because it was a new coat, but because it was a coat of honor. In other words, dad not only favored the boy, but dad made it quite clear, this is my favorite. He gave him a coat which elevated him above his brothers. This is a no-no. God says in the word, never bring your children to wrath. He says it in the Old Testament. He says it in the New Testament. That's not something that God thinks is a good idea, and it wasn't a good idea. What do you think the brothers' reactions were to being the less favored? Think they were happy? How many think they were happy about that? How many think something else? Does anybody have a suggestion? How do you think the brothers are feeling? Huh? Resentful. Yeah, and there's another word you can use. It's very short. Hate. Take a look at the fourth verse of Genesis 37. And when his brothers saw that their fathers loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. Have you ever been ticked off at somebody really bad? And they come into a room where you are and you don't talk to them? Have you been so mad at somebody that when you went to uh, ShopRite and you see them coming down the aisle that you're just about ready to go up, that you turn and go to another aisle? They couldn't speak peaceably to their own brother. They wanted nothing to do with this bird because, after all, he's dad's favorite. After all, dad gave him a code of honor. After all, we're nobodies to God. Has he ever given you a coat? Has he ever announced publicly that you're his favorite? Has he ever shown preference for you? Absolutely nothing. So the brothers devised a plan. Look at verses 21 to 24. Genesis 37, 21 to 24. And Reuben heard it, the plan, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. So the brothers had a plan. The plan was to kill Joseph. Make believe that an animal ate him and tore him to pieces because they were going to bury him far away. And oldest brother Reuben said unto them, let's shed no blood, verse 22, but cast him into a pit that in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren and they stripped him out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. We'll take care of that coat. And they took him and cast him into a pit 
and the pit was empty. There was no water in it so he wouldn't drown, which was a good move on their part. So their plan was to kill their brother. And the older brother had a better idea. Let's not do that. Verses 26 to 28. Let's do this. Let's throw him in the pit and let's see what happens. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph unto the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, about 100 bucks. And they brought Joseph into Egypt and Reuben returned unto the pit and behold, Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes. Well, what happened? They decided that they were going to get him out of the pit, and they were going to sell him into slavery. So he goes from this pit, along with this tag-tame group of tribesmen, to Egypt. So if you want, he goes from a pit to Egypt. What's God going to do with him now? What's going to happen next? Chapter 39, verses 1 to 6. 39, 1 to 6. So the brothers got him. They first, first were going to kill him. They threw him into a pit. They found a way to deal with him. They saw people who were slave traders. They sold their brother into slavery. He's now in Egypt. Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Verse 1, chapter 39. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him into the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had, bought, which had brought him down thither. He was sold to this captain of the guard. Now, this was a, this was a state-run terror group all by themselves. They, they lived to hunt down people. They lived to maim and kill people who were enemies of the state. They were worse than the IRS. When they wanted you, they could find you. So he was brought there. Verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. You know, the Lord was with Joseph even in the pit. The Lord was with Joseph even when everybody else hated him because of what the father's sin was. But there he was in the pit with him. And there he was with him in Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw, looked, that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put into his hand. And it came, from, came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught that he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a godly person, well favored. He didn't take anything. That's that A-U-G-H-T. He didn't steal anything. You could put $100 down on a table if you were Potiphar, and when you came back, those $100 would still be there. Have you known people you could trust that much? Imagine. So everything that Joseph did because he served the Lord, he put God first. He put God first in in his life. He decided in his own mind that Potiphar was not his boss. Potiphar was not his master. Potiphar was not his employer. The Lord was. 
So he looked at his situation there, not with anger, not with remorse, not with distress, not with depression. Oh, poor me, look at the mess I'm in. I was in a pit, and now I'm in a place where, where I'm treated, I'm a slave. What shall I do? Shall I just be angry and do nothing? You know what that guy did? He did his best because he was working for the Lord, and his best was so good that Potiphar, the captain of the guard, honored him and made him, uh, made him at the head of his household. Every servant reported to Joseph. I think that's pretty good. I don't know what you think, but I think that's pretty good. Now let something happens in Genesis chapter 39, verse 7. Came to pass after these things that his master's wife bum, ba -dum, bum, cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. What did Joseph do? What do you think Joseph did? Did he say, okay, babe? Huh? Nothing doing? Yeah. He said, um, he said something right there. He refused, verse 8. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, my master does not know what is with me in this house, and he that committed all that he hath into my hand. He trusts me. Potiphar, your husband, my boss, he trusts me. He's given me everything. He holds nothing back from me. There's no place in this house I can't go. There's nothing in this, in this land and in this house or with these people that I can't do. But I won't do that. It's got to be so easy for some people to decide that somebody else's wife is okay for them. But is it? You can't be faithful to your own spouse. Who could you be faithful to? Your best friend. And you can't be faithful to that person. There is none greater in this house, verse 9, than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I'm not going to pull this double whammy where I sin against my employer and the people who trust me, and I sin against God. I've got that conviction in my heart. I'm not going to do it. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. And it came to pass as she spoke to David, Joseph, day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or with her. He resisted. And this woman didn't stop. She kept coming on to him and coming on to him and coming on to him. I wonder how many people in Hollywood would have that kind of resolve. They seem to be pretty happy going from person to person. I mean, uh, Elizabeth Taylor was married how many times? If you even remember Elizabeth Taylor. Nine times? <laughs> you would think one was enough. Well, his wife is getting pretty angry. She, she's wondering how come I, can, I could woo other guys if I want them. I mean, I doubt this was the first guy she's ever tried to seduce. I could have anybody I want. I want this guy, and he doesn't want me. I'm pretty ticked off. What did, uh, what did uh, the, the Odyssey and the Odyssey? No, Helen of Troy, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Wow. So what does she do? She goes to her husband, and she says, this guy that you trust so much, he tried to rape me. 
Now, you know, false accusations are fast and furious in our day. Amen? I mean, people, all you need is somebody to accuse you of something, and you are guilty, right? Seems that's the way it is. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. He was there in prison. So what he did was he didn't kill him, he didn't beat him, he just threw him in jail. Was there a trial? Was there a jury? Were there people to weigh the evidence? No. But guess what? Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I was in a pit, God was with me. I was in slavery, and God was with me. I'm in jail, and God is with me. Now, you haven't been in all those places, but you've been in some tough places in your life. Can I tell you something? This is the biggest secret of all in Christianity. God was with you. Are you happy about that? So I don't think you're going to get in as desperate situations as he's in. But it doesn't matter because God will be with you no matter where you are. Chapter 39. Uh, verses 20 and 21, we just did. So Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. This is the next place where I turn to Genesis chapter 41. So now I mentioned that in this day and age that there are dreams going on in people's lives in the Middle East. Well, that was a big way that God spoke to prophets. That was a big way in which God spoke to heathens and pagans. He would speak to them in dreams. The Pharaoh is having a dream. Now, got to remember something. Pharaoh was much more powerful than a king. Whatever he said, that was it. And the Pharaoh had working for him a bunch of people who were very smart. He had scientists, astrologers. He had people who studied the stars. He had people who knew a lot of things. And one of the things they were hired for was to interpret dreams. So now Pharaoh's got this one continuing dream, and he calls out to all his smart guys. Okay, all you geniuses, get in here. I'm having a dream. I want to know what it means. So you guys, here you are. Tell me, what does my dream mean? And he reveals his dream to them. And they say, well, give us a couple of minutes, we'll tell you. So they go off in a huddle. They come back and they say, give us a couple of hours and, give it, and, we'll live. and they go in a huddle. You've got to give us a couple of days and then we'll tell you what it is. And finally, he pulls the string. Do you guys know what my dream is all about or don't you? And they had to admit, we don't know. I'm surprised they didn't get their head cut off. But he's pretty much through with them, and he's pretty disgusted. And he doesn't know what to do. Meanwhile, back in prison, Joseph's been interpreting dreams for the, for the, prison, uh, the prisoners and the, and the prison keeper. And they know that whatever Joseph's dreams are, they come true. And so, the reputation gets over to the, to the Pharaoh, and he now decides, I'm going to call this kid that's in jail, and I'm going to see if he will interpret my dream. So let's look at 41 verses 14 to 16. 
Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came unto Pharaoh. He wanted to look good for the Pharaoh. He didn't want to look like a slob. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, the guy just got shaved. The guy just got washed. The guy just got all dressed up. He's standing in front of a Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the then known world. And the, and the Pharaoh says to him, I heard that you're this big Machamovis, right? that you're this big maven, that you could answer dreams. I'm pretty impressed. Talk to me, babe. And what does he say? Well, many people would say, yeah, I can do that. I'm not bad at it. I'm pretty good. Chances are I should do it. No. He says, it's not in me. He's giving God the glory. When we go through difficult times, when we do something good, are we giving God the glory for that? Are we saying, you know, I may not have done that on my own, but God, help me. I don't think I could have gotten through that period in my life alone, but God was there. You see, when you have a testimony like that, people listen. And this is what the Pharaoh's doing. All of a sudden, maybe he wasn't listening to the God of the Israelites, but all of a sudden, that God's got their attention because he's working through Joseph. So um, let's go over to 37 to 41 of chapter 41. 37 to 41. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh because Joseph told and Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this man in whom the Spirit of God is? So now Joseph explained the, and interpreted the dream. The Pharaoh is thrilled because it made sense to him. He saw it actually taking place. And now he wants to do, what am I going to do with Joseph? Do I send him back to prison? The 28. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. Thou shalt be over my house. Here we go again. And thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt, from a pit to a palace. It's not because of me, he says. It's because of God. Any good, good thing that comes into your life is because of the Lord. Amen? That good things can come into your life because of the Lord. With God, nothing is impossible. He can take you from the moments when you're feeling in a pit and remove you to a place that's higher and better, the palace in this case. And of course, Joseph starts to, to grow to the place where he's becoming the most powerful, second most powerful man in Egypt. Verses 37 to 41 of chapter 41. 37 to 41. Did I do that already? Yeah, I did that one already. You think this is easy? Okay, good. Okay, let's try verses uh, 56 and 57 of 41. 
and the famine was over. Okay, there was a famine throughout the world. It was also in Egypt. But one of the things that Joseph had done was talk about that, that dream that Pharaoh had, which was about this famine, and that he was supposed to start storing up grain and corn, and he did that. And because of that, the people of Egypt ate. But nowhere else did that happen. So people around the then-known world were starving, and they started coming to Egypt to get food. And let's look at 56 and 57. The famine was over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. It was dying out there. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was sore in all the lands. Now there's a question by some people as to whether there was corn, actual corn, back in those days. Well, there was a grain back in those days that was the early ancestor. You know, hybrids come along, and it was the early ancestor of maize. So it was allowed, God wanted it called corn so we could identify with it. So there was corn at that time like that, and now he's selling it to all the people who come. So what's happening? In Egypt, it's having a different experience in times of need. They're not losing money. They're making money. They've got a commodity that everybody wants. And so they're not charitable. They're in it for business, and they're selling it. And so the people are being fed, so they're happy. They don't feel deprived. And people around the world are happy because they get a chance to buy it. We'll see what happens, whether they sell wholesale or what. Verse chapter 42. Now, we remember that in Egypt, the famine is over, but we also remember that in uh, Joseph's hometown, the famine is raging. And now his brothers are told by his father to go into Egypt and there buy corn and bring it home. Now when Jacob saw that there was no corn, that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look upon one another? What are you doing here? You should be over in Egypt. And he said, behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy from us and we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. Verse 6. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Hmm. The guy that we threw into a pit. But they don't realize it. And Joseph saw his brethren and knew them. But he made himself strange to them. He probably had a probably covered up his face. He had one of those Fauci masks, maybe. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, I got to check to see if you're awake. <laughs> and Joseph saw his brethren, verse 7, and knew them not, and, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them and spoke roughly to them. And he said unto them, why come ye? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. What's he going to do with them? Going to treat them like dirt the way they treated him? Go to chapter 50. And we're closing in on the end of this little story. Verses 14 to 20. Joseph 
returned to Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up to bury his father, his father had died. Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead. They said to Joseph, will you hate us? And we'll certainly, we understand all the evil that which we've done, you should. Verse 16, and they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, thy father did command before he died, saying, so shall ye say to Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. When he had the power to do whatever it is that he wanted to do, he could have killed them. And nobody would have blamed him. And remember, he's second in command. The Pharaoh could do that to anybody, including Joseph, if he wanted to. But he didn't. He showed kindness. And here's one of my favorite verses. In verse 20, this is one of my favorites. Maybe it could become yours if it isn't already. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You meant destruction for me. But God meant me to be in the place I am so I could be a, a help to others. There are people, you have problems with certain people in your life who it just seems they're out to get you every chance they can. They may mean it for, for your harm, but God allows you to go through that so that he could show you his faithfulness. And God is faithful to you no matter what the circumstances. You're going through a hard time right now. You're going to a time when you even question your relationship to the Lord because things just seem so hard and it seems that maybe God's gone away, but he hasn't. He's still that still small voice that can speak to you through a, an account of Joseph like this and speaks to where you are at a moment like this. God only wants what's good for you. God only wants what's best for you. Sometimes you got to go through a fire to get to, a, to the better place. But that's what God promised, that he'd be with you with the fire. He'd be with you through a flood. He'd be with you through any bad time. You hang on to him. He won't let go of you. When you run out of strength to hold on, God will grab you by the wrist, and his strength is great enough to hold you. When you run out of strength to hold on, God has strength to hold on to you. Somebody may mean things for your evil, but God means it for your good. So when you feel under spiritual attack, or you feel you're going through a time you, you don't know that you're going to get through it, trust the Lord as, as Joseph did and see what God will do. Let's pray. Or with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't know, I just feel like somebody or somebody's are going through a tough time right now and you could use some prayer. I'd like to pray for you. Pastor, I'm going through a difficult time right now. I see how you got Joseph through his difficult times and I know that you can get me through it I just ask you to pray for me during this time. I see your hand, please. Yep. 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 
Listen, there's nothing to be ashamed of. We all go through times, trials, seasons, difficult moments. Hang on. Let God hold you up. He's made that promise. If you could see that in Joseph's life this morning, that whatever it is, you, that it was evil against you, but God meant it for your good. God will get you through this. That's his promise. Hang on. Let God do his work. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to have a book that speaks to us where we are in our life. This is not a story from thousands of years ago which bears no resemblance to anything that happens to any human being today. It is very much contemporary. It speaks to families. It speaks to people with troubles. It speaks to the times in which we live. It speaks to our particular instance and does so so specifically. And so I pray for each who raised their hand right now, Lord. I pray an anointing. I pray, Lord, that you would roll the stone of trouble and, and testing away. I know, Lord, that some testing is really for our good and we need to go through some of those things. And the best way to go through them is with you. And your promise was, if we stick with you, we will get through it, even though right now it's such a hard time. So I pray that you give each person who's raised their hand going through a difficult time, I pray, Lord, that they will feel your presence. I pray, Father, they will feel the moving of the Holy Spirit in their own heart and mind. Not necessarily that the circumstance goes away, but their ability to deal with it, their ability to have victory over it, their ability to stand strong against it, to have peace through that storm. I just pray, Lord, that you anoint them with that, overflow them with your joy, touch them with your peace and your presence. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.